Welcome back to Tulsa Time with Bishop Condola. I'm Adam Minahan. We've been talking about the Synod, but we're going to kind of pivot and talk about, we're actually going to come full circle at the very beginning of the Synod. We talked about how what gave people most joy in life was the Eucharist mm -hmm. and Jesus himself. Now we're going to, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk, let's talk about the Eucharist. Um, maybe first off, we'll start off with the Mass, which is uh, where the Eucharist takes place. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's what defines us as Catholics. Like uh, John Sr. says, what is Catholic culture? What is Christian culture? It's essentially the Mass. Mm -hmm. um, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about the three-year Eucharistic revival first, and then we can talk about what is the Eucharist and, and kind of give a little catechesis. Well, um, let's think in terms of uh, sort of an analogy. Uh, you love your children all the time. Don't you love your children all the time? You love your children all the time, but you do celebrate certain things with more festivity and intensity. Mm -hmm. Their birthday, for example, or... Their baptism day. Their baptism day, their first communion, etc. Sure. And so I suppose that's one way of thinking uh, about the Eucharistic revival. Uh, the, the Christian faith all along has had various moments and periods of revival. Um, you could think of high solemnities that we celebrate as moments of greater festivity and greater uh, revival. Well, this three-year period of Eucharistic revival, coming as it does after the COVID uh, shutdown and so forth, it has a practical effect in terms of of what happened when we had the shutdown, that people were uh, attending Mass as best they could at home, on TV, and so forth. Naturally, and I think no one was surprised, that proves unsatisfactory pretty quickly mm. uh, for most people. And the reason is because the Eucharist is the kind of activity where we really need to be together with the community that's worshiping and the smells and the bells really do matter. And when we're at home, we don't have those things. There's an artificiality about everything that happens on TV anyway. So there's a certain practicality in terms of doing a Eucharistic revival now. But why do one at all? Well, we do one at all because the Eucharist is our life. It is the thing that we live for. It is the center of our faith, source and summit, as we'll talk about in some of these future uh, podcasts, the source and summit of our faith. And so we're taking a three-year period of time in which we're wanting to focus more intently on what the Eucharist is for us and why it's important. Because it is easy to forget. Mm. Uh, we even have the, the um, adage, uh, familiarity breeds contempt. Well, there's a certain truth about that. And so, when we understand rightly what happens at the Eucharist, when we understand rightly that when we're at the Eucharist, we're in a sense with one foot in heaven. I mean, heaven opens for us. The, we become present. We love, you know, all of our sci-fi movies and things. I'm a big Star Wars and Star Trek fan and all that. Uh, and so in those things, we talk about wormholes, you know, holes through space-time where we can be immediately present to something. In a sense, the Eucharist is that. We become immediately present to the event of the suffering, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
that is the source of our salvation. And in that, we, we are becoming immediately present to the event of the Last Supper, the, the gift that Jesus gave us in the priesthood and in the Eucharist. Uh, there we're seeing invisible realities that are nonetheless real for being invisible. Uh, though, admittedly, the fact that they're invisible means we have to really call on our faith. Mm -hmm. So who, who can come to the table? Who can come to this celebration, the sacrifice of the Mass? Uh, who gets to be a part of this? Everyone in the world is invited to it. Uh -huh. That's literally true. And, and something for Catholics to reflect on. Again, when we talk about inviting people uh, as a part of the, the um, Synod and so forth, inviting people back to faith and so forth. Literally, from God's perspective, everyone in the world is invited to be part of the Eucharist. Now, that means that everyone in the world is invited to be fully in communion with the Catholic Church, and that becomes the means for them to be able to be part of the Eucharist. But they don't have to be in full communion with the Catholic Church the first day they come. How can they be? Right. And so everyone can be invited. And if you invite someone who's never been before, they'll have lots of questions. I mean, you should make sure you've planned for time for donuts and coffee afterwards, because they're going to have lots of insights and questions about what was all that about? What did that mean? And what does this mean? And what does that mean? Um, but yes, everyone is invited. It's also for us to make sure that we're worthy to attend. That's another Another, the other side of that coin, right? Yeah, when I invite people to Mass, I give them, I, I tell them this, when you walk in, don't try to follow along in any book. You know, just observe. Uh, there's always a sense of reverence and, and like awe and wonder in, in, in the sacrifice of the Mass compared to other services maybe that they've attended before. Mm -hmm. And so I just, say, I just say, just make mental notes of what's going on and then let's talk about it afterwards. Right. Take it in. And Catholics, particularly, for instance, if Catholics are attending funerals and weddings, mm -hmm. those are two moments when there's always going to be a lot of people who are not Catholic there, or people who perhaps their family at one point was Catholic, but maybe the family itself drifted away, and now they themselves have not really been introduced to Catholicism. Or, you know, I was in campus ministry all those years. Uh, it was very common to meet students at the student center who had been raised early in their life as Catholics, but they themselves had drifted away and been allowed to drift away so that they never really learned what does it mean to say that I am a Catholic. And now they're coming back as if they've never been mm -hmm. and learning it sort of for the first time. Yeah, so if the Eucharist is what kind of separates uh, us and makes us distinct from, from other services, Maybe we should define what is exactly the Eucharist. The Eucharist is the, the uh, culmination of what we call the sacraments of initiation. So baptism and confirmation are the first two of sacraments of initiation. The Eucharist is the third, the culmination of those. And the Eucharist is the one that's ongoing. At the Last Supper, Jesus gathered his apostles with him, and he gave them a special meal. He, he performed with them, uh, ate with them a special meal in which he blessed bread that became his body. 
and told them, take this and eat, this is my body. And he blessed wine, which became his blood, and he told them, take this and eat, this is the blood of the covenant. Now, those men didn't understand that night what was actually happening. They still didn't have it in their minds that he was going to die as he told them that he was going to. But after he died, and specifically after he rose, then they understood, okay, he told us that. He told us that he was going to die and rise. And he also told us this is his body and his blood and that we should do this in memory of him. And so we're going to do it. We can't explain how it could be his body and his blood, how bread that looks and tastes like bread mm -hmm. could nonetheless have changed in the mass to be his body. Blood looks like, I mean, wine looks like wine has changed to be his blood. But we believe it because he said it. And so we, uh, we celebrate it. Yeah, and this is not an easy teaching, right? Even in John 6, they, they said like, Lord, how could this be? And many actually left mm -hmm. at that point, right? Like, right. This, so this is not an easy, easy thing to understand. And it's very interesting for us uh, regarding this one uh, teaching, but also in in analogy, other teachings as well. It was essential that they accept on faith that this is what it is. Jesus told was preaching to the crowd in John 6. He tells them that they're going to eat his flesh and drink his blood, and if they don't, they won't have his life in them. Mm -hmm. And they think he's talking about cannibalism, and so they just think, oh, this is just so odd and so weird. We, who can endure it? We don't want to have anything to do with this anymore. Uh, we've tried to go along and believe you, and we've tried to give you the benefit of the like, doubt. Okay, Jesus. <laughs> like, yeah. Right. But this is too far, we're leaving. And many of them left, and he let them leave. He didn't call them back and say, okay, I see it's too hard, we'll, we'll do it this way or that or any of that. He let them leave. The 12 didn't leave. He asked them, are you also going to leave? Peter says, where are we going to go? We know that you are the Christ, the Son of God. We don't understand what this all means. But because you are leading us and you are who you are, we're going to accept it on faith. We do the same now. Um, many people believe, many Christians believe that the Lord was speaking somehow symbolically and that the masses, uh, which is filled with symbols, is just that, merely symbols. But that's not what we believe because that's not what he said and not what the church has done for 2,000 years. Yeah, so at one point in the Mass, the bread and wine become the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord. At what, what part of the Mass does that take place? And what should we, as the laity in Mass, be praying or, or contemplating when that happens? Well, I think a, the question, I think, gets at perhaps a, a uh, wider uh, reality for the laity. Uh, these days, you know, we've talked a number of times in these podcasts about the double-edged blessing, double-edged sword of our technology and our media. Mm -hmm. This is one area where our media can really help us and can really shine because there is no end to the Catholic media, books, podcasts, uh, websites. 
that help explain what the Mass is, what the Eucharist is. There are uh, podcasts and websites and so forth that will go through every prayer of the Mass, every uh, moment of the Mass, and explain the typology and the symbols and so forth behind it all. That's really important for people to do. Mm If you've come to Mass all your life because you grew up going to Mass and now you do go to Mass and you do believe that Jesus is present and you don't understand how, it will nonetheless help you to read and learn and invest some time and some energy in reading and learning, particularly uh, well spent if you do it together with your family, in deepening your understanding of what those things mean and how. In the words of the consecration at Mass, those words that happen uh, a little after the center point of the Mass, when the priest prays the words of consecration over the bread and then over the wine. In those words and in those gestures, the bread and the wine are transformed into the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Again, here's that familiarity breeds contempt. If we really understood, if we really did see it, we should be struck dumb. We should be falling down on the floor. Annie Dillard, I think that's her name, a wonderful author, uh, she wrote an article and she said, I can prove that Catholics don't believe what they profess at Mass. And the way I can prove it is the fact that the pews are not equipped with seat belts and the ushers don't issue crash helmets to people as they come into Mass. Because if we really believed that we're speaking to God and asking Him these things, and that God might answer while we're there and turn the church upside down, then we would want seat belts and crash helmets. So it's that kind of a reality for us when we're at Mass. It can be a challenge. And the Lord does not need us to reach mystical ecstasy during the Mass. He doesn't need that. He desires it for us because of the good that it would be for us. But, I mean, you've got five kids. Five kids, right? Uh, well, uh, four and one on the way. And yeah. so, so, <laughs> so I don't have to tell you that there are moments when you're barely able to even be at the Mass. Uh, mass, a lot of times for me, is a physical workout and not a, and not a spiritual workout. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> and so w- the Lord does not need us to reach that. And yet, to the degree that we can, we want to be as present to the mystery as we can be. This thing that is, what else are you going to see or do? We, we now have the James Webb Space Telescope up there, and it's showing us views of the beginnings of the universe that we never saw before, that we never thought we could see, images that that are 13 billion years old in terms of the light traveling to to reach the telescope and all of that. And we're amazed by all of that. But the God who made all of that Mm -hmm. becomes present under the form of bread and wine at the Mass in a manner that we can eat and drink so that we can become as He is, that should amaze us more than yeah. everything. Yeah. And so we want to strive uh, for that kind of amazement. Yeah, so if, if the Eucharist is the body, blood, soul, and divinity, if we take Jesus for his words and say, okay, he said that this is my body, this is my blood, and it truly is him present, it should, we, should probably be, uh, we should probably take seriously how we present ourselves at Mass, right? We, how we should 
mm-hmm. um, you know, become prepared to go to mass. Yeah. Oh, what, what are you? Well, what should we do? I've thought before that uh, you know one way to approach this this um, subject of how do I prepare for mass is to think in terms of the night before to begin there. Uh, the night before, to already be thinking about when are we going to Mass, what time are we going to Mass, who's going with us to Mass, uh, what are we going to need so that we're starting to plan and get ready, it's worth planning for. And then to think in terms of we're going to be present to God in a way that is the, the most privileged way that we can, so do I want to look my best the best I can, let's say it that way. Um, do I want to give some thought and some planning to, you know, if I was going to go see the Pope, if the Pope was going to show up at my parish tomorrow, how would I dress, for example? How would I prepare for that encounter the night before? Well, we're not going to see the Pope. He's not coming. <laughs> Sorry. He's, he has made surprise visits before, he, but... He's, he's likely not coming. Right. We're going to see his boss. We're right. going to see the Lord. And so the same thing uh, counts. How can I get ready? And how to then impress on the children by the way that I'm acting right. of what's the specialness of what's about to happen. Uh, and then can we uh, plan to arrive in time to be able to have a few moments of prayer? Uh, is that now? Sometimes these things are not possible, and so this is not a critique uh, for hardworking mothers and fathers who are, who are doing everything they can to get us all there uh, at all. Right. Anyway, it's not at all a critique, but it's simply to say, if we have the opportunity to do more, can we? Right. And what should that look like? What would that be? Yeah, and not only just not only our externals, but also internally, right? So um, to mm-hmm. present ourselves in a manner where we haven't separated ourselves from God. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So um, one of the great uh, tools that we have these days is the Magnificat, you know, this mm-hmm. magazine, the Magnificat, or any source like that where you have the readings for all the days of the month. And so because you have the readings in the Magnificat for every upcoming Sunday, then you can look at the day before or even during the week before to see what are the readings that are coming and begin to orient your prayer around what may God be wanting to do with me during Mass this week with those readings. Yeah. Okay, well, this is a total time with Bishop David Connerdler. We've been talking about the Eucharist. We're going to continue this topic next week. Be sure to like and subscribe to our podcast. Go ahead and, and, and rate and review it too. That also really helps the podcast whenever you can rate and review it. Um, I'm Adam Minahan. We'll see you next week.